Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. But uh, we're in our study on the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 15 and 16. We're going to be in both of those today. Um, And we've been, this is, you know, the last night Jesus is with his disciples. uh, uh, And uh, they call this the upper room discourse. And uh, there's so much here. And that's why we kind of slowed down a little bit just to kind of soak it all in, right? Um, And and there's so much here for us. but uh, we come to John chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 18 today, and then we're going to skip over into uh, John 16 in just a second. Um, if I can get my computer to wake up and respond. Oh, that's why. Okay. All right. Um, so John chapter 15, start at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. If they had come and spoken to them, if I had come to spoke to them, they would not have uh, been guilty of sin if I hadn't come. But now they have no excuse for sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not uh, done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And then chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I have said all these things that you make to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Uh, There's one thing that's missing in Western discipleship and discipleship in the American church in the Western world, and that is being discipled for persecution. Uh, There is no transferable concept of persecution or suffering. (laughs) Much as I loved... uh, WRB. Um, uh, But uh, we have to disciple people to suffer and for persecution. Otherwise, um, you know, when they, if we sell them the deal and then they experience what really happens, they'll feel like they've been, had the bait and switch, right? You promised me the abundant life and all I got was problems. This isn't what was advertised. You know, I think that, uh, This is the ultimate test, and it will come when the church is shut down. Because a discipleship movement does not need a building. It doesn't even need internet. It doesn't need paper. 
It doesn't need websites. But if it doesn't have transferable discipleship, if it's not incarnational, if it's just a meeting, meeting in a building or dependent upon what's on the internet, it will not be sustainable. And a day is coming, I think, when our tide is going to change. Church is not just a meeting. Uh, and my brothers on the Big Island say that discipleship movement has to be simple, practical, and what? Fred? Easy to reproduce, right? Simple, practical, and easy to reproduce. And a building is not really sustainable. It's not a scalable model for the rest of the world. It's these multi-million dollar facilities. We can't just keep building them. But incarnational discipleship can never be stopped. In fact, it will accelerate under persecution. I want to talk to you about persecution this morning and make a deposit about uh, uh, what the Bible wants to teach us and disciple us in that area. One of the people that I had a chance to sit under was Curtis Sargent, who spent a lot of time in Asia. And uh, Curtis Sargent says this. He says, There are two crosses in the life of of every true Christian, the cross on which Jesus suffered and died, and the cross on which we must suffer and die to self. It's an essential part of the Christian life. When I went to his discipleship camp um, about disciple-making movements, if you've heard the initials DMM, that's what it stands for, um, he talked about the house church movement in China. And he said, you know, in American Christianity, it's all about it, there's this inertia because the American Christian church is so large and it's wealthy and it's established. He said, and, and our highest priority in the American church isn't multiplication. It's comfort. It's security. It's stability. But Christians in living in the house church movement across the world uh, don't know those things. And they didn't know, it, they, they couldn't do anything any different. And so they created discipleship movements. He shared about how in China, when you're, when, you take, when you're baptized, you take a pledge. And here's what you say. I am ready anytime, any place to suffer, be imprisoned, escape, die for my faith. That's what a candidate for baptism says in the house church move in China. New believers classes there include that if you're, the question posed to them, to the candidates, if you're arrested, how would you interact? What would you do? That's a practical thing they have to disciple them in. They, pra- they practice, new Christians practice learning how to slip off handcuffs and jumping out of second-story windows because those are realities of the house church. There's a mantra amongst Chinese Christians. They say, if you put me in prison, you are freeing me to preach openly. If you put me in solitary confinement, you're giving me room, free room and board to meditate and pray. If you beat me, you give me an opportunity to glorify God. If you kill me, you are sending me to glory. And that's why they call prison seminary. And they'll talk about when they went to seminary because they they actually taught each other in seminary. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, If the world hates me, know that it, if it hates you, know that it hated me before you. Therefore, the world hates you. If they're, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Expect persecution. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here on this last night. Expect persecution. I don't want you to be thrown about what's coming. And I think we have a a veil over our eyes here in the Western church when we think that this will not happen to us, that we will be evacuated before we ever experience significant persecution. Um, 
That's certainly not the reality for many of our brothers and sisters across the world. They have not been evacuated from it. Um, so he says in John 16 in verse 32, he says, But the hour is coming, indeed it is come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home. And he says, And you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I've said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I'm going to experience persecution. Even you're going to abandon me. But what did he say was his comfort? The Father is with me, he says. And he says, you're going to be experience tribulation, but I want to give you peace. It's interesting because peace and tribulation are actually antonyms. They're opposites, right? Tribulation is the absence of peace. And yet Jesus says that he is the pathway to peace amid tribulation. And we need to disciple ourselves and how that could be true. How could we experience that the way he did when he faced the cross as he was in the next few days with a heart that's at peace? In 2 Timothy, Paul said... uh, Paul said, uh, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect it. Plan for it. Disciple for it. The American church is structured for comfort, and we disciple for comfort. We do not disciple for persecution. Persecution shouldn't surprise us. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be surprised. And so in this upper discourse, that's why he's telling them of what's coming. And uh, we know that persecution actually transformed these ordinary and flawed men into the great founders of the church. There is increasing persecution in this world. In verse 19, he says, um, starting verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Therefore, the world hates you. And if you're persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He says, the world is against us. It will be against us. Who did Jesus say would persecute us? Who did he say? The world. He says it like four times here in verse 19. The world. The world will persecute us. You know, a lot of times when we think about persecution, we think about the Left Behind movies, right? You think of the black SUVs screeching into your yard and the helicopters coming down and the SWAT team coming down on fast rappel ropes and, and uh, taking us away. Uh, And certainly that um, does happen in some places and and could happen. But Jesus is talking about something much broader here than that, some uh, hypothetical future event. Persecution is happening now. Here in Indiana, just a a week or so ago, a Christian family had their teenager taken away because the Christian parents refused to use a pronoun uh, that the child had had chosen different than their gender. And so... uh, uh, Child Protective Services came and took the child away. We are living in a different time. The tide is turning. The current is now going out. And change is coming in this. And we need to be prepared. We need to disciple ourselves. Yes, the state will uh, disciple us. We can expect persecution from the world. We can expect persecution from the world. That's the first place that we can expect persecution from. And Jesus said in in Luke 12, he said, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you'll defend yourself or what you'll do, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And if you this week, if you do any homework and study on persecution, the chapters in the New Testament, what you'll find is the Holy Spirit 
it recurs again and again and again. The Holy Spirit is linked to persecution. Even in this chapter, when Jesus, uh, in between these chapter 15 and 16, he promises the Holy Spirit is going to come. So in, in the face of persecution, Jesus says, I'm giving you a helper, and that's the Holy Spirit's special role. And you can look and look into that in more depth. Um, but so the world is going to persecute us, and, and that's a reality, and we're not going to be able to do things the way we are now. Um, but it's not just that the world is going to persecute us. Um, it's also that uh, our families are going to persecute us. We can expect persecution from our families. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, Jesus uh, himself, it says in Mark chapter 3, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. This is his brother. This, these are his brothers, and this is his mother saying this. This is what happened to Jesus. And so, um, even families uh, will be turned against each other, the book of Revelation says. Um, and so, um, this, this, is, this is one of the things that can happen. And Christian parents, you shouldn't be surprised when your own children who've, who've made professions of faith turn apostate. Uh, you know, for, for many of us in Christian ministry, this is one of the great conundrums is after we raise our kids and, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, why do they fall away? Well, uh, we shouldn't be surprised because Satan, we know there's an ap- a great apostasy coming and he, he's going to attack us where we're the most vulnerable and that's certainly with our kids. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, our, our whole vision of Christian parenting, we've got to challenge that because, uh, uh, you know, children have to make their own choice. God does not have grandchildren. He doesn't. He only has children. And, uh, but God is playing the long game. He's playing the long game with us and, and the trajectory of what he wants to do in our lives. And we as parents have to take that same view. But I have personal friends that are being persecuted by their children because they're standing up for the Lord. Um, but uh, so we can expect persecution from our families. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that there's no one who has left house or brothers or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time uh, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. We can expect persecution from the world, but we can also expect persecution in our families. And I know many of you have experienced that as well. And sometimes, you know, we don't really count that as persecution, but that's some of the times that's, that's you know, when we stand up to walk with, with Christ, that's what we run into. But there's another area that's a little unexpected for us of where we get persecution from. And that's that we also can expect persecution from other Christians. In verse 19, um, uh, it says that if you were of the world, the world would love you on its own because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And we talked about this world, who's going to persecute us? The world. But my question to you is, does this mean that our persecution just comes from non-Christians, from pagans? Can Christians also operate in a worldly way to persecute one another? Yes, the answer to that is yes. Because the debt, you know, it says that, uh, that the, what's being used against us is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what the devil does is the devil uses our flesh to get Christians to act like the world. And he has gotten the church to persecute itself and cannibalize itself. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, Brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, as mere infants. You are still worldly. Are you not acting like mere humans? And of course, we know that there are people in the Corinthian church who were persecuting Paul, and he had to defend his own apostleship to him. Who persecuted Jesus the most? Pagans? Who persecuted Jesus the most? The religious people. The religious leaders persecuted Jesus the most. And in the church, Christians can be persecuted from both outside and inside. In the West, I'm convinced that Satan doesn't need to persecute the church as much from without because Christians attack themselves so often from within. You know, when the, Christian, when the church has an obvious enemy outside of itself, it rallies together, right? Uh, but when it's comfortable, when it's uh, not being hourly or uh, as manifestly attacked from outside, then those conflicts tend to happen and move indoors. Jim Van Iperen is one of the real experts on church conflict. Uh, he's written a great book on the subject. He had a ministry called Metanoia. Uh, he says that church conflict is a lot like dogs, hunting dogs. He says dogs on a mission tracing a scent will run all night as a pack, one after the other in coordination. But lock them in a cage and they will chew each other's ears off. And that's what happens when the church loses the scent of its mission and has nothing better to do than to sit around and to attack each other. Too many churches have lost the scent and are using, channeling the only energy they have to attack one another. In the Old Testament, it talked about how um, in Jeremiah, the people of Judah, uh, Jeremiah says, uh, he says, and here's what he prophesied that they were saying to him, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue. Let us not, not pay attention to any of his words. And we know Jesus talked about this the Old Testament, how the Jews themselves had, had, had persecuted many messengers who had come. Uh, and, uh, and Jeremiah was, was one of those. Um, but this isn't a phenomenon of the Old Testament. This is also a phenomenon in the church today. Um, because we can expect persecution from other Christians, but that's when it surprises us is when the hurt church hurts us. I'm convinced if you're a Christian long enough, eventually you will have a church wound. Some, someone who claims to be a Christian will do something to deeply hurt you. Or maybe it's an organization. Maybe it's a church. Maybe you already do. And I, I, you know, I, I certainly uh, have had to deal with that. Was Paul persecuted by the church? Yes. He was attacked. 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12 are his response to the persecution. And the sad thing to me, the other, uh, I forgot what day of the week it was. Uh, it was earlier in the week. I got two messages in one day. One was a phone call from a deacon in a church that I had preached at years ago. I didn't even remember him. He had to remind me of what he said the name of the church. didn't ring a bell. And he asked me, so what are you doing, Dave? I said, oh, I'm, I'm pastor of a church down in Orlando. Well, how's that going? Well, he started telling the story, and, uh, you know, their pastor retired, and they had the youth pastor who was doing such an incredible job. They had him start preaching on an interim basis, and then they put him up as a candidate, and then the church 
was split about whether to hire him or not, and, and, uh, and, and he ended up resigning. And when he told him who it was, Don and I know who he is. We know his family. We know him. This is a great kid. He was attracting young people to the church but because he said there's a couple families that run the church. And because they wanted to keep control, they ran him off. I had another voicemail on my phone from a, a friend of mine, a really good friend who works in a Christian organization. If I told you the Christian organization, all of you would know it. And one of his the fellow workers, um, you know, he felt like he'd been tarred and, weathered, tarred and feathered and went out on a rail. Why does this happen in the body of Christ? Why do we do this to each other? Today, there's an epidemic of abusing pastors. Not just pastors that abuse, but churches who abuse pastors. And uh, y'all know this is part of my story. And this year, uh, God has <laughs> saw fit to send me back to school to do some more inner work. And I found out that I had some physical symptoms this summer that I was actually experiencing PTSD um, from uh, a number of uh, uh, terrible interactions that I had in my previous career as, as a pastor. And uh, as a matter of fact, I don't just have PTSD. I have what's called complex PTSD, which means you've had, you've had more than one trauma, and so multiple traumas pile on top of each other. And so I started having physical symptoms. I started having hypervigilance. Uh, my dog would bark, and my, my adrenaline would go through the roof. I'd hear a loud noise, and it'd be like a gunshot went off. Um, uh, and, uh, and I had to back away this year from social media because even my phone, the prompts on my phone, the notifications were, were, were uh, triggering me. And, uh, and I was like, what is going on with me? It's not that this is in my mind. It's not that I'm thinking about this. What, what, where is this coming from? And the body has memory. The body remembers. And the body tells the truth. Peace Cazero says the body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. <laughs> body doesn't lie. And the things, my body was telling me, Dave, you got things you need to process you're not even conscious of. And uh, so I noticed I'm shaking my leg all the time. Uh, I always have to be doing something. I have very difficult time sleeping for the last two years, uh, but even more so this year. And, and that's been a struggle because, uh, you know, I take something to go to sleep and then either I can't go to sleep or then I'm too groggy when I wake up. Last night, I didn't get sleep till 2 o'clock and I woke up at 5.30. Only three hours sleep, uh, and then when you're not at your sharpest, and I feel like my productivity's gone down, and uh, you know, uh, some of the medication that I've had to take has caused me to gain weight. The the PTSD, uh, you know, certainly uh, self-medicating with food is something that you can do to 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 uh, um, uh, to uh, placate yourself, or uh, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word right now. Um, to uh, Comfort yourself, whatever. Anyway, so and I've struggled with that, and y'all see, it's obvious that I've gained more weight, um, and uh, uh, and some of that's reten water retention, and uh, but there's a lot of things going on. I feel like my life is a mess, and God says, David, I just want you to, to dig deeper. There's some things I want you to disciple, and some new skills that I want you to develop, and so God's uh, given me some incredible resources, and that's things that I'm working on. But you need to know I'm the weaker brother here in this regard. Please don't send me a Monday morning email with a thesis. Please don't do it. Just don't do it. Call me. I'll, I'll talk to you. Don't send me a text. I don't want my, my inbox to be a landmine. And I don't want to be triggered every time. So I've, I've had to turn off. Some of you don't, you'll see that I'm not posting. Uh, I had to turn off the notifications for WhatsApp and some of the email chains or texting chains. I just can't respond to because I, 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 to me, 
it is triggering for me and, and some of the things that my body's trying to, to sort out. So I'm just sharing this with you in vulnerability, and y'all seen that pain this year, and so that's not new to you. Um, I am kind of standing out here a little bit naked by doing this, but I want to invite y'all to more vulnerability, right, in our community groups, and our prayer for one another. Let's just not just be about, you know, uh, uh, when I'm sick or uh, the things that are easy prayer requests to tell. And certainly, you know, health issues can be a major trauma, and I had that two weekends ago, and I was praying with all the dickens when I felt like I couldn't breathe. Uh, but let's talk about the real things that we're struggling with in our hearts. And because uh, um, that's what we need to be there for one another. Um, and uh, anyway, if you want to talk more about that, I can. Uh, but uh, but Paul and Jesus is talking about uh, that persecution will come and we shouldn't be surprised when it does. Um, and uh, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit, but the New Testament is very clear that uh, he's given elders to guard the church and that there are wolves that will come. And there's some people that Paul talks about who are lovers of controversy. Uh, they love to get involved in uh, you know, theological quarrels. James says in James 4.1, what quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is this not your passions at war within you? Um, so, um, you know, when the Pharisees were attacking Jesus for, for example, let's just take one of them for, for healing on the Sabbath, um, were they not standing on Scripture to defend it? Yes, they were. Did you know it's possible to use God to live from self? To use God to run from God? That's what they were doing. They said they stood for truth. Most church conflicts today happen around the misuse of the truth. Truth can be misused both by how it's used and why it's used. And James says that a lot of it comes from it's really your, your broken, corrupt desires in your heart. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from, from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Um, and uh, 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 I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. Uh, hang on. Go back. Go back. Where I, I lost myself. There we go. Okay. So here's the deal. We all know in our marriages, we see each other's fl flaws, right, uh, in our families. But here's the problem. Those areas of our heart that are not discipled, the issues that are still there that, that we have, when we come to church, we all bring them here. I mean, you know how hard it is with two broken people in marriage. Imagine having 50 people, 200, 300 people, and we all bring our greatest weaknesses to, to something, and something that we believe is firmly and as fervently is the truth. And it's easy for the flesh to get twisted around things that God had no intention for them to be. Um, uh, in Proverbs 21, it, 11 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but humility comes with wisdom. You know, being a champion for the truth comes with humility. In the church, there have been major theological controversies that really came out of pride. And specifically, one that I'll talk about, I'm Reformed, uh, but the Neo Calvinism movement um, in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been some people in it who've done the gospel a great disservice because of pride. They thought they were right. They handled the truth in the wrong way. And I'm saying, I don't necessarily disagree with them on the, on the, on the issue of, uh, 
of theology, but there were pride in being right, and all of us are susceptible to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, and we're proud about that. We can have prideful punctiliousness, and we can police one another. Um, and this is an epidemic in seminaries where theology almost becomes sport, where we kind of keep score, right, on, on zingers and gotchas that I really showed you in there, right? Because a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. You know, what was more important to the Pharisees? Was thinking right more important to them or living right? It was thinking right, right? But they used the truth in the wrong way. They used the truth as a weapon of the flesh. What is more important to us, thinking right or being right, living right? Paul said without love, truth manipulated by self is only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. He says, if I do not have love, I am nothing. And so we need to be discipled here and think about this because a lot of the persecution that's happened, we're tripping ourselves up inside the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a chapter on marriage. It's a chapter on how the church should treat itself, about the way Christians, the church, should relate to one another. If I can't make my inner, this is what happens a lot of times, if I can't make my inner self and everything that's going on inside me, the chaos, all the messiness, if I can't figure that out, a lot of times we want to control other things that make us feel more comfortable, control mechanisms, and theology gives us that sometimes. And so that's where, you know, this taking pride in that I've got all my boxes checked, uh, you know, becomes a, 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 a tool of the flesh. And uh, Pete Scazzaro talks about this in his book, Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship, and he tells the story of his church. They were very successful in the Bronx, and they ultimately had a church split. And he said the reason why is because there were a lot of emotionally unhealthy Christians. They've been Christians for five years, for 50 years, but they repeated the same year 50 times. And when they came to conflicts in the church, they could, couldn't do it in a healthy way. And so we bring it here. You know, even... You know, I quote somebody like Scazzaro, and somebody says, well, you know, he, he really draws from the church desert fathers. He draws from, you know, Catholic devotional practice. And, man, why are you reading him? Well, we, can't, we don't need to be policing each other. Just because I quote an author doesn't mean I agree with everything that there is uh, that they say, although I, I don't have, find a problem with, with drawing devotional practices from the, from the desert fathers. Um, but, you know... Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm careful when I, when, I, when I preach because I'm like, oh, will somebody be offended by that? Will somebody take that the wrong way? And I'm a people pleaser. That's my own flesh, and so that's hard for me, and I, and I need to repent of that. Um, but my philosophy, just so you know, in terms of who I quote, what I read, is you read like you eat fish. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. <laughs> eat the meat, spit out the bones. So don't send me an email about somebody because somewhere over here five years ago, 15 years ago, they said such and such. It's just, I don't have time for that. We're trying to, we have a mission here. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to get first downs. Um, you know, I've read the enemy and the enemy's half right. He is. You know, even communism is a Christian heresy. It's, it's a critique of capitalism. They got some things right. The solution's wrong. They got the, the, the state and nature of man wrong. Um, so, uh, we got to be careful about our flesh and that Satan manipulates it into attacking one another. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? 
What he's saying is, first, I need to look at my flesh. Even if I'm in the right here, how would my flesh is involved in this conflict? What can I learn and take away from this situation, even if I'm in the right? Even if I've been wronged, how do I deal with this conflict in a way that can teach me and grow me to become more like Christ? Because there's a blessing that comes from persecution. If I'll ask this question, if I'll look back on it, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, um, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, with all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is not a loss. It's actually a blessing. It's a blessing. And what's the greatest blessing that comes from it? The greatest blessing that comes from it is actually growth. Romans, uh, Paul says in, in chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. So that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope uh, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. Persecution will grow us. Jesus himself, in Hebrews it says, though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Obedience is a school. And we need to see the blessing. We need to seek out what we can learn from it. Here's what I'd say. If the tuition of the school of suffering is so high, which it is, it's very expensive, why wouldn't you want to learn all that you can? Even if you're not in the wrong. But we need to see we're, on, we're in the wrong because all of us are flawed and broken. Uh, I know this may be a little heavy today. Some of you know that last Sunday, uh, Don and I got invited back to uh, final service of a church that was closing that I used to be the pastor of. And uh, we debated about whether to go. We prayed about it. Uh, and I felt led to go. And uh, we were just going to go. And then they had, we got in there. God, God has a funny sense of humor. We walked in, and guess what? The only way you walk in is at the front of the sanctuary. I came in late because I thought I'll just sit in the back. <laughs> I had to walk by everybody. And uh, but people were really sweet, and they really, some of them really embar uh, uh, embraced us. And then they said they had these two microphones they're going to have sharing. And as soon as they said that, I looked at Donna and I said, I'm going to say something. She said, what are you going to say? I said, it's all good. <laughs> I said, I'm going to share a verse. She said, what verse are you going to share? <laughs> but God gave me this. as a, I, I hadn't prepared to say anything, um, but... Uh, I want to read you what um, uh, God gave me to say. It, it, just, it just came to me to, to look back at my first sermon that I preached when I was there. And it was, I had it on the, on the cloud, so I was able to pull it up on my phone. And I told him that this is what I prayed for them, the first sermon that I prayed. God, you saw our brokenness. You entered our broken world to rescue us from it. You took that brokenness into your own heart. You embraced it so that we could have hope and wholeness. Whisper healing to our hearts. Speak hope to our souls this morning. For I pray it in the name of the one who is hope, Jesus Christ. And I just gave glory to Christ for his faithfulness. 
Um, so that's a little bit of my context this week. Maybe that's why th- that this sermon has delved into that a little bit more. Um, it's just part of my journey. Um, but I'll tell you that we need to expect persecution to grow us. Persecution and suffering is an opportunity for spiritual growth. There are things that you can't learn anywhere else except through suffering. Ask Joni Erickson Tata. Ask Corey Ten Boone. Dan Allender preaches the same thing. So did Larry Crabb. Uh, and I remember when I sat under him for two weeks and he, he knew he had pancreatic cancer and uh, it was in remission at the time. It since came back and he's now with the Lord. But um, he was sharing about all that the Lord was trying to teach him through this. We need to lean into persecution and suffering. Um, uh, well, I want to close with a quote, and uh, it's from Samuel Rutherford. It's a long quote, but it's really worth it. Um, he was a Scottish pastor in the 1600s, and it's about this whole area. He says, if your Lord calls you to suffering, do not be dismayed, for he will provide a deeper portion of Christ in your suffering. The softest pillow will be placed under your head, though you must set your bare feet among thorns. He says, Do not be afraid at suffering for Christ, for he has a sweet peace for a sufferer. He has called you to Christ's side, and if the wind is now in, your, in his face, you can expect to rest on the sheltering side of the hill. He says, You cannot be above your master who received many an innocent stroke, The greatest temptation out of hell is to live without trials. A pool of standing water will turn stagnant. Faith grows more with the sharp winter storm in the face. Grace withers without adversity. You cannot sneak quietly into heaven without a cross. Crosses form us into his image. They cut away the pieces of our corruption. Lord, cut, carve, wound. Lord, do anything to protect, perfect your image in us and make us fit for your glory. We need winnowing before we enter the kingdom of God. Oh, what I owe to the file, the hammer, and the furnace. Why should I be surprised at the plow that makes such deep furrows in my soul? He says, whatever direction the wind blows... It will blow us to the Lord. His hand will direct us safely to the heavenly shore to find the weight of eternal glory. As we look back to pains and suffering, we shall see the suffering is not worthy to be compared to our first night's welcome home in heaven. If we can smell of heaven in our country above, our crosses will not bite us. He says, lay all your loads By faith on Christ, ease yourself. Let him bear all. He can. He does. He will bear you. Whether God comes with a rod or a crown, he comes with himself. Have courage. I am your salvation. Welcome. Welcome, Jesus. Christ, we welcome you. We yield as we enter the school of suffering. And we ask you to teach us, shape us, 
Mold us into your image. Even with circumstances and trials and difficulties that we would naturally in our own flesh shudder at. But we know that you are there with us through your Holy Spirit. You give us the gift of yourself. Lord, let us not live a life of ease and comfort without you. Lord, purify us, even if necessary, by the pain of the fire of suffering. Lord, we want to be more like you. We praise you. We worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.